We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out their website, andyanddon.com. Andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Hi, Good Scott. to see you all. Good morning, Scott. Nice to see you. Uh, the time in the market. What does that mean? Well, that's what it's all about is time in the market versus timing the market. Ah. And, you know, we've, we've experienced a little volatility lately. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it was just last, last week. Last week. Yeah. <laughs> and it uh, continued a bit yesterday and then the day before, and it's been up and down all last, all last week. And it's, uh, it's kind of got us back to, okay, people are a little jittery. They haven't seen this for a bit. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we have short memories to a certain extent, which is good because nobody wants to remember how down it was in January. Yeah. It was a negative quarter in the first part of this year, and it dropped over 10%. Mm-hmm. And it recovered in the second quarter and kind of broke even. Third quarter statements were out for most investors out there. And you would have noticed a slight increase of a couple percent, maybe a slight decrease by a couple percent. Not a lot of movement depending on your portfolio. The exception being U.S. growth stocks. And I know we talked about that before. Um, the FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, um, yeah, even they took yeah, a dive. Yeah, well, yeah, everything went down. Yeah. Netflix, Google. And uh, so you take a look at those, and, and but you take those out of it, and really it's been kind of a boring year overall. But with that volatility, it kind of sets off a few panic buttons. People like don't mind volatility when it goes up 600 points in a day, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. We never get a phone call then. No. But if it goes down 600 points in a day, then, you know, or, or you know, four, five, six percent in a day, in, in, a, in a week, that causes a few alarm bells. It's completely different. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> mm, and, and it's funny. Volatility is both ways. Yeah. But everybody likes one volatility, of course, and one everybody hates the other volatility. And, and it's really interesting. Uh, uh, John Cage, way, way back, once famously quoted, the long, in the long run, we're all dead. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> <laughs> that's it, period. Let's but, get right to the point. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and we are trying to plan a person's future and right from, I wouldn't say cradle to grave, but certainly as you're working years, right until your estate planning. Mm-hmm. And, but investors can count on the same kind of long-term term truth. In the long run, stock prices rise. In the short run, we have no idea, <laughs> okay? We'll, and, and I'll show you this exactly. It's actually quite interesting to start looking at what analysts say and what the markets do, but I'll get to that in a bit. But the odds are so w- overwhelmingly in favor of the market going up. Mm-hmm. And it, it and if you look at the charts, it always shows, and you can go back all the way to you know 1900. And I know we've had some you know major corrections in there. So of course, the uh, 1929 stock market crash, mm-hmm. but it it did recover. And there's a couple other ones in the more recent future, uh, in the recent past rather. 87 was a, a big one, mm-hmm. like 25% drop in a in a day. Um, you look at the 90s, early 90s, the recession there. There was a bit of a market volatility. Um, the Y2K and the um, tech meltdown. Yeah. And of course, we just, not long ago in the recent memory would have been the financial crisis mm-hmm. where it was considered like one of the most volatile times that we've ever experienced. But at the end of the day, these year-to-year returns are very unpredictable, but the long-term isn't. So we got this cool chart. It's almost like building blocks. And if you could envision all the way from 1926 to... Um, 2016, so mm-hmm. 2017 would be one more block. But you think of a block, and every time 
between minus 50% and minus 50, sorry, minus 40 to minus 50, there was one block. And then minus 30% to minus 40% was another area. Minus 20 to minus 30 was another area. Minus 10 to minus 20% returns for one year is another area. Zero to minus 10 was the next one. So basically every time, you, every range was 10%, mm -hmm. going from minus 50% all the way to plus 60%. And what they did is every time you had a return, you stuck a block there. So, so example, 2016, the return was between 10 and 20%. So they threw a block on that pile that were in the same area. It happens to be 1926 was also in that area. Uh, 1944, 68, 893, there's a whole lot. In fact, there's 20 blocks in this 90-year period that happened to fall between 10 and 20%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's a, you know, minus 40 to minus 50, there's one block. And that was 1931. So I guess that was, you know, the, the yeah. obviously a horrendous year. Yeah. Um, minus 30 and minus 40, there's two blocks. And that was, again, 1937, the dirty 30s, if you will. And 2008. Yeah. You know, so that's how long it took to go from one horrendous market day, year to the next one was 2008. Then you go minus 20, minus, minus 20 to minus 30. There was 1930. Again, a, another 1930 in there. 1974 wasn't any good. And 2002, that would have been the tech meltdown. And they all fell in that area. Minus 10 to minus 20, there was one, two, three, four, five blocks. One of them being 2001. The probably the most common was the minus ten to zero percent. There's thirteen negative ones there. So at the end of the day, out of ninety years, there was uh, seventy five percent of the time they were positive. Mm -hmm. Twenty five percent they're negative. So we've been saying that for years. You know, it's about one in four chance of a negative or positive year. We wish we knew when one would be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We wish, and that, this is, these are all U.S. stats. The Canadian stats aren't a whole lot different. It's about 70% chance of a positive return and a 30% chance of a negative return. In fact, they'd only went back to uh, 2008, it looks like, and it was, uh, sorry, um, 1950, 1948 rather. And so uh, in this 60-year period, it was, there was one year, 2008, where it was between minus 30 and minus 40. But again, the bulk of the returns were between zero and plus 10. 16 of those years were, fell in there. So it's, it's stressful. Nobody likes the market volatility. But at the same time, it's predictable. We, we know that it's going to go up. Mm -hmm. And these are short-term fallbacks. So what happened in the last week was really a function of interest rates. Um, most stock market analysts did not expect interest rates to rise by a quarter percent. Mm -hmm. It kind of caught them off guard, which is kind of weird. because Why we, is that? Because yeah. everybody was predicting that that was going to happen yeah. this time of year anyway. And it did. And all of a sudden, the market just said, wow, that's yeah. a ton. Yeah. It's almost like they kind of ignored the warnings and it was kind of caught blindsided. So with that, the stock market took a huge dip. And it, they try to f just look at this information. At the end of the day, the markets look at for profitability and earnings. And that's really what matters. So it's, it's very interesting. So going back to all, year 2000, all the way to 2017, they said, okay, what are all the analysts and strategists saying the market should do? And it's interesting, they are so wrong so often. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a funny thing. For example, in 2002, they thought they would be about a 15% return that year, plus 14 actually. 
the actual return in 2002 was minus 22%. Mm. So here's all these smart analysts looking at all the data, and they're off by 36% that year. Well, not to be outdone, but they were. <laughs> 2008, the analysts before the year started, 2008, said we're, gonna ex we're expecting a 16% year in the stock market this year. Well, they, it turned out to be a negative 37% year. Think about it, though. That was just, a big miss. Just even them predicting that <laughs> is pretty much guaranteeing that it's not going to happen because they're predicting it. No? I mean, doesn't that play a certain... It, it seems random. There's, there's Sometimes they're actually a little close. Like in 2010, they all the analysts on average suggest it'd be 15% return. And it was a 15% return. Yeah. They got that one right. But other years, like 2013, they expected a very soft year. Looked like they were going to get maybe 3% that year. End up being a 32% year. Hmm. And the thing, I mean, as a analyst predicting the direction of the market, um, you'd be kind of foolish to, to suggest a negative year because it only happens, you know, out, yeah. of, out of 10 years, you might only get three years that are negative or maybe two and a half, you know, period. Mm -hmm. So the odds are it's going to be positive anyway. So you're, as an analyst, you're, you're sort of really going out on a limb to, to predict right. a negative year yeah. because generally they don't happen yeah. that often. So you're more often going to be right. If you say it's a positive year, it's yeah. just a matter by how much you're yeah, off. Well, that's a good point. Not one time since 2000, so in, in, in 18 years, did they ever predict a negative year? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are, one in four, one in three chance in that area of a negative year, and never did they agree on a negative year. Mm. Okay. Why would you? <laughs> right. <No. laughs> really? The, and yeah. the odds are, as Andy said, yeah. that it should be positive. Sure. So there's always these, like what they call is intra-year pullbacks. Mm -hmm. And that means how much the market pulls back within the year. Mm -hmm. And so... Again, back in January, there was a negative 10% pullback. Well, that's common. Since 1930, the U.S. stock market is averaging a 10% pullback every single year. That's just a normal. Um, in fact, it was only two years ago where it didn't pull back, have any kind of real pullback, in the, which is abnormal. In fact, the in, if it were to pull back 5%, so fi it would average three times a year where it goes down 5% within the year. Right. Well, that still doesn't mean that it's going to be a negative year that year. Right. Because that's just normal. In fact, like we said, three quarters of the times it's a positive year in spite of these negative intra-year pullbacks. So, in fact, the average pullback in any given year is 14%. So, again, this is just a normal year. Mm -hmm. But we've been kind of used to unnormal, or if, if we will, but an, a year where there isn't that much volatility. And we're kind of getting a little bit more of that volatility back which still comes back to what should you do? Is this cycle, we, you know, I know that these cycles happen every decade or so, or the chance of <coughs> them, uh, roughly. Um, is this one any different than the last or the one before that? Is this one different in any way? My classic, opinion. Yeah, it's a classic question. Yeah. And you know what? If, if we were in it in, or we were having a recession, you would probably be saying to us, but it's different this time. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody uh, would say the same thing. And in fact, it almost always is different every time. Yeah, There's always different a different factors. set of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. So recently, the questions that have been bubbling up regarding volatility that I've heard from clients is, well, you know, we've got trade wars going on that yeah, we right. never had before, so it's different this time. <laughs> yeah. So there's always something yeah. in the media yeah. that's going to reflect on it somehow being different this yeah, time. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah and, and I remember one, uh, one in analyst, if you will, said, you know, it's not different, it's ice cream. 
it's just different flavors. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's still ice cream at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. If you tried to time the market, like the risks are so great. In, in fact, they did a study for a 20-year study from 1996 to 2016. So 20 years, if you just missed 1%, if you missed 10 days, the top 10 days, your return would have been 4% over that 20 years. Had you just gone to sleep for 20 years, the S&P 500 in the U.S. market did 7.68%. So 10 trading days, which is like one-third of 1%, cost you almost half your return. So if you had a hundred grand invested and just sat there for 20 years, you would have had $440,000. But by missing the 20 best days, your return went from 7.68 to 1.57. You're now down to 136,000. It costs you about $300,000 by trying to time the market and missing 20 days Hmm. out of 20 years. It's so, so impossible to time the market. The biggest thing is is to have a diversified portfolio and keep to the plan. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Andy Lister are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. You can ask a question uh, as well via the listener inquiry button on the website at andyanddon.com, where you can also listen to old archive shows. We're talking about timing the market. Here. Yes, yes. And, and the market volatility, as we've just noticed of late. And what I like about market volatility mm-hmm. is... I, clients call me. I get to talk to them. They they <laughs> rarely want to talk to me when the market's <laughs> going straight up. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. It motivates them to call. Yes, yes. The market goes up ten percent. I never hear from them. Yeah. Market goes down five percent. Wow! I get a phone call. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I get to see them. But in, but in a serious note, we're going to say the same thing. We're going to say stick to the program. Don't worry if if this is within your comfort level, which we addressed early in the process. Then this is just a normal market situation markets do have negative returns in periods and and even short bursts and that's what we were just talking about the average decline intra-year is minus 14 percent it still may be a very good positive year Mm -hmm. you know that's the part people forget oh boy look at it's down to 14 percent in the last two months well so by the end of december you still could have a plus 14 percent nobody knows for sure and so what we experienced in back in 08 was they've they've created an example let's say you invested a hundred thousand dollars practically at the worst time, beginning in 2006. And really, for the next year, it was flat. It did nothing. 2007, actually, the market started dropping. 2008, it was hammering down, as you know. Mm. And actually, March of 2009, the market finally hit bottom. And that's when, in that January, February, March of 2009, when people, we were getting some people said, I just want out. In fact, they called it, in fact, the radio and some of the um, commercials from competitors were saying, you know, you should just park your money. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what does park your money mean? That means taking the money out of the market, putting it on the sidelines, and waiting for things to get better, and then buying back in. Yeah, yeah. When do you buy back in? Yeah. So, when it starts going up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just before it goes up, which yeah. there's no bells, there's yeah. nothing dinging. Okay, guys, it's all going up now. So what they did is say, okay, let's say you put 100 grand in at the beginning of 2006. March 9th, you actually took the money out for a year. 
and you parked it. And then you bought a year later after the economy was looking better. It seems very common sense to do this. You would end up, it started going up after that, and you would end up with 120,000. Your 100,000 went down to about 53,000, and then it would have grown up to about 120,000 uh, by the end of 2016. Pretty smart, glad I did that. I'm glad I parked it for that year. What if you didn't park it? You just sat and let it roll and, and, and listened to your financial planner that says, just stick to the program, don't panic, leave it in. Your money would have been worth 200,000. So your 100,000 went down to 53 and then recovered and went up to 200,000 by the end of 2016. That cost of parking it is $80,000. Yeah. That was the cost. And even if you're doing a pre-authorized check where you're contributing well, every the month, way. then obviously when these times are low, you're buying more. Oh, yeah. You, you're literally buying twice as many shares yeah. at, the, at the March of 2009 as you were in uh, 2006. Yeah. So rather than getting out, you should be buying more. You just buy more. Yeah. But for those ones that are retired and they can't buy more, yeah. or yeah. they <clears throat> just keep to the program because it costs way, way more. And this is the problem. People see what they've, they've got. So the person that parked it, they'll tell all their friends, yeah, I, I parked it for a year, I've recovered, and now look at it, I got 120,000. Yeah. They don't know what they didn't, they would have had. Yeah. They don't know it cost them 80,000 to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. The statement doesn't show, here's what you have, and here's what it costs you by doing that. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Here's what you lost, yeah. <laughs> because that would drive them nuts. So at the end of the day, you look at uh, returns over the last, in the US, there's no 15 year period where there's a negative return. In fact, there's a very small chance in a 10-year period that there's a negative return. Canada, there's a zero times, although going back to from 1956 to 2016, that there, there's been no 10-year period where you had a negative return. In fact, if you went three-quarters Canadian stocks, one-quarter European stocks, and the reason I use European rather than U.S. is the Canadian and U.S. stocks are very correlated. Mm -hmm. You'll find they go hand-in-hand like an 80% correlation. So you're not really diversifying if you simply go Canada, US. But if you go Canada, Europe for 25%, there's never been a period after five years where in fact, there's no five-year period that had a, a negative return if you diversified. And that's the power of having a properly diversified portfolio. As one person said, you'll never make a killing being diversified, but you'll never get killed. Yeah, good point. You know, during, during times of volatility, our listeners get to tune in every week and we help talk them off the ledge. That's right. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know all of our listeners have been uh, well-versed in volatility. They know not to panic and sell. But in case you have a friend <laughs> who, who might be concerned about the volatility, um, and it usually starts with, again, it feels different this time. Mm -hmm. It feels different this time. Um, so just as a, some background, um, you know, one thing, Don and I have access to, you know, world-class money managers through Investors Group and their affiliation with other major uh, intellectual corporations in the world in terms of managing money. McKenzie Financial, one of our sister companies, the, the top investment manager there recently participated in a conference call with them. And really the issue around stocks and stock volatility is driven by two key factors. Number one is interest rates. And we saw a dramatic jump up in the U.S. interest rate, uh, the 10-year bond mm -hmm. went, went up quite a bit in relative terms. And that scared people from stocks thinking, oh, bonds are going to be the better place to be going forward. Uh, so that created some of the sell-off. 
The second thing, which is the, a key factor in stock volatility, is economic growth, and and really more specifically earnings growth. So if if economic growth looks good and earnings growth is good, stocks are going to go up. Mm-hmm. If economic growth is poor and and earnings are poor, stocks are going to go down. Um, and the ability or the capacity to um, uh, you know to recognize that is very difficult. But what we did hear from them is at this stage right now, there is no need for you to raise cash or increase the amount of cash you have available. Uh, there's no need for you to change your fixed income to equity ratio. And this is key if you're in a balanced portfolio. So if you're in a balanced portfolio, you've already set kind of what your risk profile is. Maybe you're 50% stock, 50% uh, fixed income. Maybe you're 90% stocks and 10%, whatever their number is. Stick to that. There's no need to change at this point. There are two times when it becomes, it does feel a little different and it becomes more problematic. The first time is the newly retired individual. Mm. And that is a stressful period because as you're drawing money and selling your investments to generate an income for yourself, a decline, even short term, can be very unnerving and you need to have a strategy around that. We're gonna talk a little bit about retirement, mastering your retirement in this section and going forward too. The second time is if you need a lump sum. So last week, I got a call from a client who had decided to purchase a, um, a condominium in Aruba. Mm. And so they needed $250,000 to make this purchase, uh, and that's U.S. dollars. So two factors came into play. Wow, there's volatility in the market. So now the fact that we're having to sell a significant portion of their investments and to some extent try and uh, manage the currency exchange as well. What's the mm. best time to do that with a Canadian dollar, U.S. dollar? It had to be in U.S. funds. That is another unnerving time when volatility becomes an issue. Other than that, the rest of us who are either accumulating or already retired or well into retirement, volatility is just a nature of the beast. You need to have a plan around it, take advantage of it uh, when you can in terms of rebalancing. But at the end of the day, um, it's not different. It is something we've seen over and over again. It just repeats itself. It's going to feel different. But uh, just listen every Saturday. We'll talk you off the ledge. <laughs> we'll, keep you, we'll keep you on the straight and narrow for sure. Different movie, but you're still at the theater. That's right. You got it. Exactly. Um, anyway, so I did look a little bit into this too, as Don and I were talking about uh, volatility. And, you know, you begin to see people get nervous about this. There's no doubt about it. Um, and generally, the other thing that's important to know is if there is a correction, they tend to be very short-lived. Uh, looking back in the Toronto stock market, the Canadian stock market, the TSX, back to 1956, there has been the, well, first of all, the average rate of return per year uh, has been 9.03% from 1956 up until the end of last year. That's in the Toronto stock market, 9.03%. Uh, during that time period, though, there have been 23 corrections that were greater than 10%, 23. So almost about every two and a bit years, there's this significant correction. And the duration of those can last as short as one month back in 1980 uh, to the highest, and I'll come to that one in a second, which was 17 months. But if you look at how much on average the decline of the market was from the start of the correction to the end, it usually comes in at around you know between 10 and 20% decline. Uh, the biggest one was from June 2008 
for nine months, and the duration of that market, and we know that was the financial crisis, was minus 43%. The next one was in uh, 2000, the crisis in 2000, sort of the, the um, uh, Y2K, uh, mm-hmm. 9-11, everything else, that was number two at minus 38%. Number three, you have to go all the way back to 1974, and that was a minus 32%, and it lasted seven months. So the big one, which was 17 months, started in September 2014, and probably people don't even remember it. People probably don't even remember that starting in September 2014, the market declined 14% because it wasn't a big number as compared to the other ones, but it lasted 17 months, almost a year and a half where there was no positive direction in the market. And that's the big test for patients right there. Most of us, you know, we're so short-term focused in many of these things, you know, a one-month, a three-month kind of period of time of, of a correction se- seems to sort of slip by pretty quickly, you know. But 17 months, that is a significant yeah. amount of time, and there's where people really have to be able to be on their plan and sticking to their guns. And, and it's interesting. when it, We're talking about percentages, Andy's mentioning, yeah. like a, a 40% decline. It's funny when it go. It's easy just to say forty percent. That's a massive decline. If you had a million dollars, you lost four hundred thousand dollars. Your yeah. statement went yeah. from one million to six hundred thousand. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't really matter. Like people dollarize when it goes down, but they go by percent on the way up. Yeah. Okay? That's right. That's right. <laughs> they don't talk about. Oh, I made four hundred thousand. They talk. Well, I did ten percent. I wish yeah. I did twelve though. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah, you, if you had a $2 million portfolio, right, and, and, and if it was you know, uh, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, you're looking at about a $300,000 decline mm-hmm. on that portfolio. So you went from $2 million to $1.7. And people wake up, they don't feel very yeah. good about that, right? Yeah. I've lost three hundred grand. Right. Yeah. You know? um, of course, we know you've never lost until you sell, mm-hmm. but um, what's your strategy going to be? How are you going to get through that cycle psychologically mm-hmm. uh, so that you don't make a mistake? And that's why we hear from our clients during this time, because they call us, we tell them the stats of what happens. This is a normal situation. And thankfully, thanks for the phone calls. Always good to hear from you. So (laughs) do you just pick up the phone and say, I've been expecting your call? (laughs) It's actually interesting. I always wonder who's going to be the first one to call. (laughs) That's a good point. That's, you you know, you can kind of narrow it down to a small group. Is it the same people? Yeah. Generally speaking. You know, we, after doing this for a long time and building a relationship with clients, um, they know what the answer is they're going to get in general. Uh, and, and as I say, there are two times when it might be a different story, and we're going to talk a little differently about that, which is the early retirees and then uh, if you need the money. But in general, uh, you know, we're, we're basically staying the course, and we're either rebalancing or looking for an opportunity mm. in some kind of correction scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so are, are the people that call more often, um, are they any better investors or just more aware of what's going on? Um, they yeah. might be thinner skin, perhaps. I don't, yeah. uh, at the end of the day, if they, if, if somebody is invested with 70% equities and 30% fixed income, their rate of return will be identical. Yeah. But some people just like to hear it again because the, the papers only will reflect, re, will, will reflect the negative news. Yeah. You won't hear, yes, you st- should stick it out for the long run. Mm-hmm. You won't yeah. hear that yeah. in the paper. So they want to just be reassured. And I think it's great. Yeah. I have no issue with it at all. I just, I'm just saying... We're going to say the same thing, and, and this has never changed. This is human nature, and this is why when we looked at rates of return that the average investor gets versus the actual investments, mm-hmm. they're not as good for the investor because if they do change, make a 
make a change to their portfolio, they'll end up with less money. Mm. And one person said very eloquent to me, investments are like soap. The more you touch it, the smaller they get. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that analogy actually is what I was going to comment on too, because if I were to question, you know, if I was to sort of peg who are the people that are going to call and who are the people that are not going to call and write it out. If you look at your statements oh, once a month or you look at your investment portfolio once a quarter, you're probably not the person that's going to call. Right. Uh, you know there's volatility. And in many cases, if people have been hearing it's negative, they'll yeah. say, oh, I didn't yeah. even open up my statement. Yeah. Because they knew it, was, it might just bother them, but at the end of the day, they weren't going to do anything. Yeah. They knew they stay the course. If you're the person who looks at your portfolio every day yeah. and every night to understand what the valuations are <laughs> and how much has changed, wow. you're probably the person that's going to call. Yeah. That's just a fact of life. And that's what you guys are for, right? That's yeah. what you're for. Yeah. yeah. And we've got clients that are like that. They want to yeah. know what the value is every single day. And others are following the plan more so and just sort of ignoring those ups and downs and, and the noise, I guess we'll call it. I, I do find there's a, if you will, a training that goes on because yeah. they may start off like like a kind of like a new car. You want to know everything about it. You right. see them all over the road. Then after a while, you're going to get a blow this to it. Yeah. And the market's like that. First, oh, I've invested this money. I wonder what it's doing today. Mm-hmm. Ooh, at 100000 101000 Well, Jesus, down to 98000 And then after a while, they realize it's not helping in one bit. It does no better for them whether they looked at it or not. Is it, uh, and as you mentioned, it depends on uh, whether you're selling or not, what the value of it is. Is it mostly the older demographics that are more concerned or the younger demographics more concerned? Boy, I don't know if I've That's a good question. Yeah, I I kind of think- Because you would uh, think the older people would be because they're more, it it means more because it it means more in the immediate future. The advantage of the older- individual, if they've been invested for a long time, is that they've they've experienced these before. And I always say to them, listen, pat yourself on the back because you've been through this before in 2008, in 2000, in 2002, and and 2014, and you survived. You came through it without, you know, jumping off the ledge or doing anything you shouldn't do. Reflect back on that, borrow from that, because we're in the same boat today. Mm. Nothing's changed. And at the end of the day, this is where your advisor really adds value. So if you're dealing with a financial planner that is helping you through these times, kudos to him or her, because this is the difference. They generally will add 2% to a person's return simply by helping you with your investor behavior. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, talking about mastering your retirement this segment. I know, yeah. You know, there's there's probably, from our perspective, there's not a more exciting time when we're talking to a client when it comes down to what are, what is retirement going to look like? How are we going to put together a comprehensive uh, retirement plan for you? And as an individual, I think it's also a, a great, really exciting time too, because- yeah. You don't think you, of that stuff. Yeah. You've, yeah. Reached at the, you've reached the point in your life where you can see it on the horizon. Uh, you know, friends are talking about it or friends have already retired. Yeah. Uh, and now you're thinking, geez, when's my turn and, and how's it all going to come together? And so, you know, I, I can't think of, we are in such a strong position at IG Private Wealth Management to be able to 
build a plan for somebody and cover off all the aspects of your retirement plan. And I think really the idea is try to synchronize it to give you some peace of mind over the whole situation for sure. And, and, I, and I totally <clears throat> agree. I've, I, we've, we've looked at different retirement calculators on the internet and there's ones by the government. I saw one recently and they're so limited what they can do. In fact, I saw one that just last week, the maximum amount of investments they could even put in as a, as a input was 150,000. Mm. I said, how can you do that when, you know, if people 10 years from retirement would need way more than 150,000 head start to yeah. see if they could retire. So y- you really do need a financial plan and that's really what Andy and I are able to do for you. So when you think about your own personalized retirement, you're, there's obviously a lot of questions and concerns that people will have. Uh, and so I just sort of made a short list of, of the key ones. Number one, at what age should I plan to retire? That's mm, a big one, yeah. right? You might want to... Um, you know, coordinate that with your pension benefits. If you have pension at work, you might want to coordinate it with your spouse. You may want to coordinate it with um, your age and Canada pension plan. There's all kinds of different dates and options available to you. Maybe you still like working. Maybe you want to work a lot. Maybe you want to get the hell out mm-hmm. <laughs> as fast as possible. Yeah. So at what age do I, should I plan to retire? Number two, what sources of income will I have to fund my retirement? And in what order should I initiate these income streams? In what order should I initiate these income streams? So that is key. Mm. And a lot of times people, you know, you just throw it all into the hat and, you know, you don't really, the ability or the capacity for us to uh, model different ways of receiving your income at different points is going to be key to minimizing tax and making it last as long as possible. Number three, what will I do when work doesn't consume as much of my time? what am I retiring to versus what am I retiring from? Mm -hmm. And I asked somebody that the other day, I said, are you retiring to something or are you retiring from something? And they clearly said, I'm retiring from something because I don't like what I'm doing anymore. I don't like the people around me. I'm waiting to retire. What am I going to do? Cheese, I don't know, but I got to get out. (laughs) So that was the next step in their their process to figure out what they're going to do. And definitely, I think that's the scariest part. There's one thing I can retire and I'm definitely going from this to a total unknown and you've known something for the last 30, 40 years of your life, now you're going to the unknown. What am I going to wake up to each day? And that, you know, that's another stress too. Exactly. Uh, number four. Another hour of sleep. <laughs> that's uh, how about starting there? Yeah, that is a good spot. <laughs> that's, the world's your oyster now. That's it. Uh, can my income plan provide me with a life of activity while I'm healthy, but while not sac- sacrificing my long-time income plan? So can I spend some now and not run out later? Uh, number six, number five, sorry. How do I deal with market swings in my portfolio when I'm drawing an income? Okay. We talked about that earlier in the show. And finally, will I have enough in my estate after tax to provide for the next generation or to leave a charitable legacy? So that sort of summarizes kind of the main components as you think about creating your own personalized plan. And I think... I can't help, I mean, you may sound biased, but at the end of the day, you have to find a trusted partner. Yeah. Somebody that you can work with to be able to coordinate this for you. And, you know, Investors Group today has been around for 91 years. We have 2,000 consultants across the country doing this. We have the highest number of CFP, Certified Financial Planners, of any company out there. Uh, so we've been doing this. It's at the core of what we've been doing for a long time. And the other thing is that we are also dealing with world-class partners. We've got over 
22 different firms that we can participate in and, and share in intellectual capital, whether it's AGF, BlackRock, um, Manulife, T. Rowe Price, Sun Life, Butel Goodman, McKenzie Financial, Franklin Templeton Investments, on and on it goes. These are all partners in terms of building someone's retirement plan and their wealth and their investments, and we get to borrow on their expertise as well. Um, and just quickly, Investors Group, for many people don't know who we are corporately, but we are owned by Power Financial Corporation, which owns Investors Group, IGM, and they also own Great West Life. And Great West Life owns Putnam Investments, Great West Life, Canada Life, Irish Life, and London Life. And IGM, our own company here, is IG Wealth Management, McKenzie Financial, the Investment Planning Council, as well as in investments in Great West Life Life Co., China AMC, Personal Capital, Portage Investments, and Simple. So there is a large organization who has years of experience in developing and creating retirement plans. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the details of that when we come back. All right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will return your call or take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old shows there as well. You can also ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson along with Andy Lister and Don Fox from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. As well, check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We should talk about IG Private Wealth management and the name change here. Yes, yes. So it's just uh, very fresh off, off the press here. It was just last week. Mm-hmm. It's funny, Andy and I both have gone through a previous name change. When we both started back in 84 That's and 85, right, yeah. it was Investor Syndicate. Mm. Yeah, it kind of had a different name in Hamilton. So uh, with the syndicate and, and other places in, in <laughs> I the, can see in the point Canada. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. even though syndicate just simply means group. Yes. So they kind of made it a more Evolve. current, evolved it to Investors Group. And the industry really changed. And what we do specifically, as Andy mentioned, is it really is looking after your wealth. Mm -hmm. That includes your investments, your cash flow, your retirement planning, your estate planning, the tax planning. It's all the planning that goes into wealth management and hence the name change, ID Private Wealth Management. And uh, yeah, we're quite excited about the new change. Same company though. Same company, everything else is the same, just rebranding. Same phone number and everything else. Um, so we were talking about mastering retirement, and I think that um, when it comes to building a retirement plan, there are probably six key things that everybody wants to m- at least master or synchronize within their own situation. And this is where it becomes very personalized because everybody is so unique. The first one is managing cash flow efficiently. And so that involves doing a proper cash flow analysis, understand you know what kind of lending can we uh, capacities do we need to have in place secured lending? Uh, what about residential lending? Should there be money available through your home? Uh, and what about tax efficient income planning? So it all has to do with managing your cash flow and understanding your cash flow efficiently. Number two is optimizing your retirement. And optimized retirement basically means it's a customized investment program. It's about the portfolio construction and the oversight of your portfolio, ongoing oversight. 
total return strategies, uh, guaranteed income solutions, and a dynamic withdrawal strategy. The dynamic withdrawal strategy is really about how to uh, factor in market volatility and begin particularly in those early years of retirement. Number three is preparing for the unexpected. And, and that really is pre- pre- preventing or looking at your holdings to make sure you don't have a concentrated uh, position. Number two is your income and wealth protection, which is insurance, life insurance. Number three, it would be estate liquidity needs so that at the time of death, there's enough money to pay taxes and property, et cetera. Uh, An estate and trust advisory service, which is reviewing wills, power of attorney. We're not lawyers, but we will review those to understand what's going on within your situation. And the final area would be living benefits such as disability insurance, critical illness insurance, or long-term care insurance as you head into retirement. The fourth stage is, is planning your major expenditures. And that could be um, you know, having credit available, liquidity available to be able to buy a place in Aruba. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be for education planning. It might be for an investment property that you're looking at and how to structure that. It might also be for the recreational property that we were talking about with Aruba. Number five is sharing your wealth. And that is really about intergenerational wealth planning and transfer, getting money to the next generation. Maybe there's uh, philanthropic planning. You want to specify income or capital going to a favorite charity of your choice. Uh, charitable trusts might be a solution for this as well. A donor advised fund is another strategy. And finally, beneficiaries and heir, your heirs in terms of their financial literacy. And really what we're saying there is that are, are your beneficiaries prepared? Uh, do they have the capacity to handle the money that you're going to be giving to them through your estate? And how can we help educate them to make sure that they manage that legacy as well too? And then finally, I guess maximizing your your business success, and that would be integrating your personal and corporate taxes to make sure that you're minimizing tax, both at the corporate level and personally, optimizing your corporate investments to make sure you're not paying more tax on those investments within your corporation, uh, pre-liquidity p- uh, planning, which is basically making sure uh, is money going to be available in case of a death or in sale of the business. Uh, and then business succession planning, which is how does this business transfer down to either the next generation or to new owners and partners, et cetera. And so unfortunately, the primary focus in our industry has often been around your performance of your portfolio. And while that's important, absolutely, you can just see from what we've talked about there, there's so much more going on that can maximize and really make a comprehensive solution for you. And so I find too many people aren't getting enough uh, value for what they're either paying for their investments to be managed, whereas there's all these other solutions that are on the table and available to them. And so um, I guess the final thing that I want to talk about, which is the questions. And this is sort of, if you're listening at home, you don't need to just count on your fingers. You can just use your fingers. So every time you say yes, put, you know, Mm -hmm. add one finger. So this is a a quick questionnaire. If you answer the questions to this, uh, number of yeses you say is going to tell you whether you need a second opinion, whether you need to change advisors right away, or you're doing all right. And are we going to have time? I hope we have time. Uh, Less than a minute. You got a minute. You got a minute. Okay. Uh, Number one, I hear from my investor once a year. 
Number two, I have a copy of a written financial plan and it is updated often. Number three, I have a clear understanding of what I have in my portfolio and why. Number four, my advisor understands my tolerance for losing money because we have talked about it. Number five, I get a response to calls or emails within 24 hours. Number six, if you have a relationship, both partners' views have been addressed. Number seven, uh, eight, sorry, uh, seven, uh, I have maximized all income splitting and tax deferral opportunities. Number eight, I have a current will and power of attorney. Number nine, we have talked about guaranteed retirement income options beyond Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security. Number 10, my advisor tries to help me improve my financial habits. Number 11, my advisor has clearly explained the cost of ownership of my investments. Number 12, my advisor is a simplifier. I come out of interactions with greater clarity. Uh, Number uh, 13, my advisor asks me questions about life, goals, and aspirations. Uh, 12, uh, my advisor covers matters beyond investments like debt, taxes, insurance, and estate planning. 13, my advisor is a certified financial planner and professional. And number 14, uh, or 16, I should say, I am confident, I am confident my savings will last through retirement, even with market volatility. Okay. So you're counting up your fingers. Mm -hmm. If you've got Six or less, run to a new advisor. If you've got seven to nine, it's time for a second opinion. 10 to 13, there's room for improvement. If you had 14 to 16, yes, you're likely have a good advisor. There you go. And if you want to find out more, call Andy Lister and Don Fox of IG Private Wealth Management. You can do that now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask questions via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a Thanks, great week. Scott. Thank you very much, Scott.